0: All right, we're going to go ahead and start our Wednesday night Bible class together. Um, It's good to see everyone here. Looking forward to an interesting class tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we'll be at if you want to go ahead and get ready for that. And let's go ahead and start with a prayer real quick. Father God, we come before you, Lord. It's another good day to be alive, to be with our church family to study your word and just think about what it says and what it means to us. And uh, Father, I just pray that uh, you guide our thoughts and our hearts. Father, you help us um, to be honest with ourselves, to be honest about your word. Father, I also pray that you give us the courage to to speak when we feel like we need to and, and not be afraid to, uh, to share our opinions and our ideas. Father, we are uh, so blessed to, to be in this congregation, to be able to share in this room with all the wisdom that's in it. And we just uh, pray your blessings over our conversation tonight as we open up your word for 1 Corinthians, a letter from Paul. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to remind you, as I do, almost every week as we're going through 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes in a circular fashion. And you're going to see that a lot of stuff we've been talking about over the last several chapters is going to come into this this chapter tonight. So, Let's go ahead and get into it because we got a several verses. If we don't get through it all tonight, then we'll just get back on it when I come back from church camp, okay? Um, but we're going to try to get as far into it as we possibly can. Verse 1 For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with, mo- with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Okay, so when Paul, he's, he's giving a history lesson, right? We all recognize that, right? We know where this is from. Exodus, Exodus very good. So when he says they were all under the cloud, what is he talking about? When they left Egypt, there was a cloud that they followed. Yeah, there was a cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. Right? Okay. When it says they passed through the sea, what were they talking about? Yeah, when the Red Sea parted. So he says, and all were baptized into Moses. What's he talking about? yeah, that's exactly it he was their leader, they knew he was their leader, in fact sometimes they thought he was more their leader than God, right, and that's something um, that we get to later on in Exodus but, okay when it says they ate of the same spiritual food, what are they talking about? yeah, manna and there's something else they ate remember they started whining, all we ever get is manna Quail, very good. And then when it says they drank the spiritual drink, what's it talking about? Yeah, water from the rock. You know, I looked into this a little bit more, and I found it very interesting. I don't read this in the biblical context of the story, but did you know Jewish tradition teaches that either the rock itself that flowed with water followed them where they went, or that the water that flowed from the rock followed them wherever they went in the wilderness. It's Jewish tradition. It's, I, don't, I don't see that in the biblical context, but it seems at least like um, Paul is kind of echoing that sentiment. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Alright? So why, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased? Why was God not pleased? Lack of faith. Who's most of them? Who's most of them? I think he's being generous when he says most of them. Sue, I see you want to say something. That's right. That's right. Caleb and Joshua were the only ones who actually enter the promised land from that generation. So really, just about all of them, right? Just about all of them. And they were overthrown in the wilderness. Why? Because they never reached the promised land. They never reached the promised land. So we got that part. Verse 6, Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Now remember, he's not talking about Israel later on. Because we know from our long study at the beginning of covid that we did that God is faithful and you can trust him more than you can trust yourself. We know that Israel got pretty messed up once they became a country in the promised land as well, right? But he's talking about in this 40 years. So he says, they desired evil. Um, We might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up, To play. That's a quote straight from Exodus. Uh, Verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. I looked for that um, passage. I found where 24,000 fell in a single day. I didn't actually find anything um, in scripture. I didn't search every single page, mind you. So I I could be wrong. But I definitely found 24,000 that fell because of disobedience. Um, In verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So first of all, I want you to see here come some of those subjects he's been talking about, right? In the last few chapters, he's been talking about sexual immorality. He's been talking about idolatry. Here they come. They're going to circle back even more as we get deeper into this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So, when it comes to, some died by the serpents, what's he talking about? Remember when they were being bit by the snakes? And they had the bronze serpent, that they'd have to look at to be saved, remember that? If you remember from our study from God is Faithful, they end up actually taking that serpent, that staff, and putting it in the temple, and they begin to worship it. So, another interesting another interesting thing. Um, who grumbled? Just about all of them, right? <laughs> Just about all of them. It was hot, it was dusty. Yep. Why do we always got to wander? Why can't we just find our place, right? You've led us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. That's right. That's right. It gets all the way to where they go into the promised land and they send in 12 spies. 10 were bad and 2 were good. Y'all know that song? And only Joshua and Caleb came back. So what about this last part? Who's the destroyer? Destroyer could be Satan. This is one of the interesting parts of the scripture where I can honestly tell you I don't have a specific answer. But the reality is all but Joshua and Caleb met their end before they ever reached the promised land, right? Right? And that, um, I believe, was at Gilgal, before they crossed over into Jericho, where God showed them in that tent that nobody from that first generation was left. Um, Okay. Anybody want to add anything before we move on? We just did ten verses, maybe in record time. All right. So far, just a history lesson, right? Verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example. As an example. An example to who? To us, but who else? To the next generation that was with them. Right? right? These things happened as an example for them. And then he says, but they were written down for us. Right? These things happened as an example. Don't forget, the next generation is going to go into the land that the first generation saw the people of and cowered. Okay? Don't forget what these people have seen. It's, part of the, it's, it's one of the hardest parts of the Bible to read and not ask the question, how? How? How after all the things that the people of Israel saw, they begged and pleaded with God for someone to come in and lead them out of slavery, lead them out of captivity, right? They begged for that for 400 years. They had the prophecy that promised them this was going to happen to them in this exact order. Moses shows up right on time. The Pharaoh does his thing with Moses. The ten plagues ensue. By the time you get done with the tenth plague, Israel's marching out. Right? They're being led by the pillar of cloud. They're being led by the pillar of fire. They're being sustained every single day by the Lord. They're watching miracles literally happen in ways we just wish we could get a glimpse. Just one one time, just get a glimpse. Man, wouldn't that just change your life forever? But yet, they get to Canaan. They see the enormous people, they see how beautiful the land is, how fertile the land is, one of the luscious places in all of the world. They couldn't deny that part, but it was the land of giants. We're little compared to these people, and all of a sudden they forget all the miracles. All of a sudden they forget them. All of a sudden, they forget that it wasn't God; it wasn't their might that got them out of G- Egypt. It was God's, right? So the example that was being made huh, was really to the kids of their parents, of their parents' disbelief, of their parents' doubt in God, despite all the amazing things they they saw. That was a generation that saw God work, in a way, very few generations in all of the history of mankind got to see God work. And they get to where they're supposed to go, what they've been waiting for, what they've been promised, all the way back through their forefather Abraham. And they can't do it. So then he says, but they were written down for us, for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. We're going to come back to that, because I've I got to hear y'all's opinions on that. Verse 12, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Okay? So let's go back. What do you what do you make of verse 11? The end of the ages has come. It's the end of the old law. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's in our hearts and on our minds, right? Yeah. Go ahead, Chuck. You're raising your hand, right? Yeah, There is. this is it. When Jesus, when Jesus comes back, as you eloquently stated to us, on a cloud, don't look for him anywhere else, he's coming on a cloud, right? When he comes back, there's no. There's nothing. It's eternity. That's what's left. Everything else gets destroyed, and that's what's left, right? There is, there is no new covenant coming. There's no third covenant. There's no um, trilogy in this series, right? So it's important to understand that the last days, that the end of the age, if you will, that the beginning of the end was ushered in In my belief, at least, when Jesus said, it is finished, right? The old covenant, the old law, and all the promises through the prophets about the Messiah and the redemption of mankind was all done in that moment when he died, when he laid down his life for the sin of all mankind. It was finished. All that's left now is the church and the second coming. So we are in the last days. If anybody ever tells you we're in the last days, say, yeah, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Because that is true. <clears throat> okay, how about this last part? This, verse 13 is a scripture that I know my mom, I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in a very Christian home, and my mom used to quote this scripture to me probably right in my pre-teen years, probably when she started quoting this scripture to me on a regular basis. And my mom would tell you that she thought I'd be a lawyer, I ended up being a minister. um, Because I could argue my way out of anything. Um, And some things never change. So, what do you think when you read, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability? Let's just stop there. That's a hard one, isn't it? Anybody um, go uh, the month of June without one sin? That's right. In fact, I think this scripture has been twisted to say something that it's really not saying. Okay? Go ahead, Chuck. Yes, that's right. Yes. So I've heard this made an argument that this is a scripture that would say that you can actually become perfect. Which, in the essence of perfection, the day you mess up one time, you can never be perfect. So... Somebody actually one time made this argument to me that from baptism, once you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and God starts putting this, this, this new mindset and giving you this, this new heart that actually every time you're tempted, you will know you're being tempted and there will easily be, there will clearly be this way to avoid the temptation. Okay? Um, I don't believe that's what the scripture's saying at all. Um, I still have yet to meet an elder that would admit to me that they're perfect. I've yet to meet a minister that will admit to me that they're perfect. And I've yet to meet a member of the church of Christ that would admit to me that they're perfect. Right? But, I don't want to lessen what the scripture says by saying that. Because any temptation that you face, you can and should at least be attempting to overcome. And eventually, you should be able to overcome. And more so than that, the word endure is extremely important because sometimes the way out isn't the easy way. Sometimes the way out isn't the obvious way. Right? Um, The way of escape was described to me in college as an army that's been surrounded. And there's a pass, but it's through a mountain range. But if they go that way, they can escape. Right? It's not always the easy way. It wasn't going to be an easier way to get out of the situation, but it was a way of escape. That's why there is an endurance that comes with fighting temptation. Anybody want to add to that before we move on?
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. That will help you endure it. But that temptation is not sin. There's temptation.
0: It means sin. Well, he's not talking about that. This person's talking about temptation. Jesus was tempted, but Jesus was without sin. Yes. We are tempted. That doesn't mean that we have to sin. That's right. We certainly don't have to sin. But I I and but I still go back to the idea that I still haven't found somebody who's even been able to say that they've been a year being perfect. Go ahead, Mike. You've got some commentators who are well-known about uh, David Boosie. They have a who agree with what you were called. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's not easy, but there is a way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the reality is there's always a way to do the right thing just not necessarily always our nature to do it. Go ahead, Sue. I all these things Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, you get deep into the the history of Israel, and Christ came despite God's people becoming the exact opposite of what they should have been by the, by the time uh, Babylon is, is is doing its thing under Nebuchadnezzar. Um, okay, Anybody else before we move on? This is to me, this is a tough go ahead. That's true. So it's not like, hey, we're the ones that have to go through something that nobody else ever had. People have gone through temptation since the beginning of the beginning of time. Yeah. That God created and someone will make it. Yeah. You know, the another good point to bring out from what you just said is no matter how isolated you feel by your situation, you're never alone. And somebody in church is either went through it or is going through it with you, no matter how you feel. Um, and I, I'll, I'll say this too, I think the trick of the devil is to keep us silent when we're struggling, because we're afraid of what others might think when sometimes you open up and you find the person that needed to minister is the one you opened up to. Um, I find that a lot in youth ministry especially. Um, it's amazing how God brings the team to the right youth minister, minister, whatever for what they're going through at the time um, it's just amazing how the spirit works like that, so very good point anything else? Doug? Roseanne uh, She wants me to move on, okay I'll move on I'll move on <laughs> I'll move on tell Roseanne I have to go this big so everybody can see it um, <laughs> um verse 14. She's right. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I want to stop there, and I want you to think about Joseph and Potiphar's wife. He was in the midst of temptation. And what did he do? He ran. Right? And in that way, he that's exactly what that's exactly um, what Paul's referring to. But he's talking about. Idolatry, And this is where the scripture is really going to start to turn and he's going to focus in. Paul's going to circle back and focus in on something. He's been drilling to the church of Corinth in this letter many times now. But he's going to break it down on a whole different level, on a much more serious level. And I want you to think about this again. When we're talking about idolatry, when we're talking about um, um, sacrifices to idols, things like that, that's stuff that we don't relate to very well in our culture. It's not stuff that you're going to go outside and the church across the streets going to be out there doing, you know, sacrificing a bull on an altar. I mean, you're just not going to see that uh, the same way that it was prevalent um, to the church in Corinth, right? To the, to the Greeks and the Romans. That was a very popular thing, very prevalent thing that was done. In the same way as well, Israel, they had their own custom too. Through the old law where that was done. And he's going to talk about Israel, and he's going to talk about pagan worship. Okay? He's going to kind of compare and contrast those over the next several verses. So, verse 15, I speak as the sensible people, judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break... Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? But there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So obviously he's talking about communion, right? He's talking about the Lord's Supper. So he's bringing it from our our perspective first. Now he's going to go a little bit further. Notice my text got a little smaller because I didn't want to cut off the entire point. Um, Verse 18. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar, right? So who ate the sacrifices in the old law? Who ate the sacrifices? Yeah, the priests, right? The priests and their families ate the sacrifices. That's what he's talking about right here. And when he says, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? So he's talking about them now and their past and their history um, from the old law. Uh, Verse 19, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. Right? So it's the food, the meat itself, is nothing. The idol itself is nothing. Right? Very important part. There's nothing that's going on here that really means anything. There is no other gods. So all the idols in the world are nothing. Nothing. And the meat that sacrificed to him, at the end of the day, was a cow in the field, which he's going to go into a little bit deeper detail further down in the passage as well. Just a cow in the field. Okay? But he wants to nail this home before he goes there. He says, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? So, there's nothing in the idol. There's nothing in the food. But there is a demon being worshipped. Whether it's knowingly or unknowingly, there is a demon that's being worshipped. This isn't the only time where Paul associates idolatry with demonic worship. So what do you think about that? Mike? Mike? Anybody else? Chuck? Well, it was not you know, you kind of wonder, were they trying to live in both worlds? And, you know, they, they have worship that they have on the first day of the week, but Thursday night is when they have the big thing, and it's with their old friends and my dad and they know it's nothing, so it doesn't really mean anything. So, but could still get together it's like
1: no you can't do that yeah. you can't have it both ways yeah thinking of how the author of hebrews writes to the hebrews that they not they're not under the law any longer and the and the things that they did before the temple worship the special days and holidays are gone and you can't go you can't go back. You shouldn't go back. You have a better way. And and perhaps like you said, it's the same thing here, but referring to the life the Gentiles have.
0: To, yeah. I, to
1: to not you can't be in both worlds.
0: You can't. Right. You can't. And for me I can't wipe away the reality. At all these false gods. Anything that ever happened that was believable—I mean, you got to think about, um, you know, the, the the battle on Mount Carmel. You know, those people really believed that what they were worshiping was going to do something that day. And there had been times, probably, and, I, and I'm I'm going to assume this, but there are definitely scriptures that would point to that there there is weird ways that evil can manifest itself. That evil can maybe even do something that some might even consider to be a miracle. Right? Um, I'm thinking of um, Saul. Saul, the witch of Endor. Right? Was that the Holy Spirit that conjured up somebody? Was it even who they thought it was? I don't know. But something happened that Saul saw, and it was believable to him that something happened, right? So I don't want to belittle as well. It's not just about, it it is about what you guys are saying with with traditions and, and not living in the two worlds, but there is a reality that there is good and that there is evil, right? Paul talks about it at other times where he talks about, The war that we wage, it's not against flesh and blood. What's it against? It's against the spiritual realms, right? It's against principalities and authorities of the spiritual realm, right? There is evil that exists. And if they are, and if, what do they want to do? What does Satan want to do to you? That's it. He's a liar. That's his game. He's a counterfeiter. Right? Go and look at every religion, put it up against the Bible, and you will see where they picked and placed pieces of the truth that came from our scriptures and put them into their religions. Because you can't tell a lie, a good lie won't have any weight unless there's a little bit of truth to disguise the lie. That's the reality of a good lie. Okay? So, he lies so that one day you will believe the lie so that one day you will live the lie. That's Satan's whole playbook. However he can lure you away from God, he's going to. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, and this, this, is, this is my opinion, nobody else even has to agree with me, I believe every religion outside of Christianity, outside of the Bible, outside of Yahweh, was made out of evil. Because there is no other way, there is no other name other than Jesus that can save. So anything else anybody's calling on, anything else anybody is worshiping, anything else anybody is associating with, is actually not leading them to Christ or to salvation, it's leading them away from it. Peter.
1: (laughs) In my life of substance abuse, I believed in an idol and it was a Harley Davidson. And I know that my, you know, mind was altered in any ways because I was under the influence of the devil in such a life. And that, you know, I was so mixed and confused. I would not ever get a tattoo because I thought my body was a temple still and I shouldn't do that to myself. But that is the twisted thinking that happens when you get away from the Lord and look for different passages in your life that are not true and are from the evil one. And I have lived that and I choose to follow God and Jesus Christ today because that is the way of my life and is the true meaning of life for me today.
0: Yeah. I've experienced that. Yeah. Idols are mocked in Scripture, right? What are they but a piece of wood that somebody carved, somebody painted, somebody put something precious on? What well, can they really do? Nothing. But to me, Paul's saying that they're associated with something more sinister, more evil, that does. I mean, when you think about the scriptures in the New Testament that express demons and what they do to people and, and, and the, the, the way they're capable of possessing them, whatever, whatever you read into that, it's an evil power. It's not a good thing. It is definitely false. It is not reality. It's not reality. It's not. So I, I think I mean maybe, I, maybe I, don't, I don't want to come off too strong, but Idols is serious to God. It's, it's something that he stressed many times in the Old Testament, and it's something that he continues to stress in the New Testament. And I think that's something, and, and you know, we can we can go to, you can make anything your idol, right? Your idol could be money, your idol could be a Harley Davidson, your idol could be... But more specifically, idols. The Baphomets. The Molochs. The Baals. And all the modern ones these days. You know, what's interesting is, um, and this really is... Um, this is really important to me because a lot of what the kids are looking at right now, a lot of the new age stuff is what I'm going to call it. it might not be the proper term, okay? Is actually a lot of old stuff. Okay? And they're looking at stars for signs. You know, scriptures say the stars are signs. Did you know that? The scriptures say the stars are markers. They're signs. They're, they're um, markers of times. But the scriptures don't say to worship the stars. The scriptures don't say to make every decision on your life based on stars, or better yet, the day that you're born, the month that you're born, and, and, and trusting all of these things. Do you know they have Christian... Maybe this is too far, but do you know they have Christian tarot cards? They have tarot cards for Christians. Do you know that? They do. It's, it, is, it can't be more backwards than anything else ever. But there are people who believe that God gave us tarot cards and you can use those just as well. I mean, these, this is the stuff that, like I say, I call it new age because I've never heard of it before until now. But I just was counseling somebody who totally, they believed that they, that they believed in Jesus and they also believe that God was speaking to them through their tarot cards.
1: There are people who are uh, soothsayers, they tell the future, and, and, or they have visions, and they say their visions come from God. But we know the Bible says that God doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. So... You
0: know, they say that they're, they, that's what they believe, but the Bible says that that's, that doesn't happen. God's not going to do that. So, So, somebody's wrong. Yes, yeah, somebody's wrong. <laughs> so, that... I, I, I'm going to move on from this, unless anybody else wants to say anything real quick. Um, but for me, these, these verses, sometimes we just gloss right over them, and we don't realize what these idols in these, in these places of worship really are and that's why I come back to you guys at different times and, and you know, I'm excited to be able to talk to you guys as adults because I can't share all this information all the time with the teens or in the children's ministry, right? This isn't the proper place. But that's why you have to go back and you have to really open up and understand what these ancient religions were about, how they were worshiped. Because even Israel, seeing all the works of God, fell into the trap. So, just, I mean, anyway, we're going to go on. I could talk about that all night. Paul says this, All things are lawful, verse 23, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So, again, is it about the meat? No, it's not about the meat. Right? Why is he bringing up the market? Yeah, if they, didn't get eight at the, if they didn't get eight during the worship, if they didn't get eight during the ceremony, sometimes you could get them for discount in the market. If the, you know, that, that was a reality. Um, so he's saying, if it's in the market, you don't got to question it. You don't got to sit there and go back and ask the guy, hey, where did you, you get this from? Right? All right. And this, again, verse 26 is where I said he's going to go a little bit deeper on that point. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, now, it's going to change a little bit, and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So, could the meat that's being put in front of you at this dinner be from the market or from idol worship? It could be, right? Wouldn't have been crazy or out of the question. In fact, it would have been something that was prevalent enough that everywhere you went to eat with any of your unbelieving friends, you would have had to ask, if it, if it was like, you would have had to ask, where'd this, where'd this meat come from? Nine times out of ten, they're probably going to tell you from the market, and they don't know. Where did your meat come from? You say Publix. You say Winn-Dixie. You say, what? no, 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 what state? No, no, what kind of cow? You don't know either. Right? Same difference. Okay. So, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of Conscience, right? In other words, we're not, tr- we're not looking for a fight. We're not looking to offend people. Right? Okay? But if someone says to you, this has been offered and sacrificed, well, why would somebody say that? To yeah. To catch you, set you up, or because it means something extra to them. Right? Because they went the extra mile to either go get it from the worship, or they went the extra mile to make sure that what they bought from the market was from the temple. Okay? So understand that. See that for what that is. He says, then if if they say that, don't eat it. Don't eat it. Why? Because they'll use it against you later? For the sake of the one who informed you. That's why you don't eat it. For them. Not for you. Why? Because is there anything special about the meat? No. Right? For the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but the person you're eating with. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Now this was brought up, I think a week, maybe two weeks ago, right, where we talked about, because we might have differences of opinion, we can't let one person who might be running around the block, making sure everybody at their church does exactly what they think. Right? We can't let one person have control over the whole church. Okay? Um, because there is a liberty, there is a freedom. That's what that word means. To have your own thought. To think for yourself. Now That doesn't mean outside of scriptures, but in scriptures. That's why I constantly encourage you guys to share your opinions with me on what you think is going on in these scriptures because there is a liberty, a freedom. Not everything is black and white. As nice as it would be for everything to be black and white in scripture, just, there's just not everything is. Right? Go back a couple chapters and if it's wrong for you to eat this meat, Even though there's nothing to the meat, if it's wrong for you to eat this meat, should you eat it? If your conscience bears witness against you when you eat it, should you eat it? No, you shouldn't. But if it doesn't, can you? Yes, you can. That's a black and white? No, that's a gray. You're not wrong if you don't. You're not right if you do. Right? It's a gray. So there is a freedom. There is a liberty. There is a right to have difference of opinion about what some scriptures say that's why when we preach sometimes we use more scripture than you want because we want you to see the context of the scripture so you know that it's not just my opinion that's coming out it's the word of god and it's repetitive it has its own weight to it i don't have to make up weight for it that's why context of scripture is so important So he says, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. So he's, again, he's saying, if I thank God for the meat, it doesn't really matter where the meat came from. Right? Because the whole earth is God's. Everything in it was created by God. All good things come from God. Anybody want to add to that real quick? We're moving through these scriptures quick tonight. Doing good. All right. Either that or I'm doing really bad. So I don't know. I don't know which one it is yet, but I'm sure I'll find out. Verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. To the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God. Who's the church of God? The church, right? Everybody in the church, right? Don't forget, Paul, he gets flack from everybody. Okay? Everybody he just named, he gets flack from. Everybody he just named is out to get him. If you're coming on Sunday night and we're going through Ephesians and Philippians, you already know that's true. Right? But he says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Again, I want to point this out because I think this is extremely important. Paul's not saying he's Peter. Peter. And what I mean by that is the Jerusalem council. Paul's not saying when certain people come in, he'll eat with them until certain other people come in, and then he's not going to eat with those people anymore because it'll offend these people. Okay? But what he is saying is he doesn't walk in to a place and all of a sudden just disregard their culture. There are lines where scriptures and following Jesus, they create hard lines. I can't cross, right? Right? If you're going to make the announcement every time that, you know, we're eating this meat and it's been sacrificed to Zeus, I'm not going to eat it. Hard line. Right? I'm not going to go to the temple and participate in the worship and eat it. Right? Hard line. But there's the market. And some of that meat does go to the market. Don't even judge that. That's the culture. There's no way around that. Right? The Romans weren't going to change how they did everything because of the Christians in their community. So, in a way, I mean, and this is where I, I started off this, this class telling you that this was a, a letter about church culture. And this is exactly what we're talking about tonight. Right? We're trying to be all things to all men. All things, all things are capable for us. But that doesn't mean I should do all things in every situation. Right? I brought up um, a couple weeks ago, and I'll bring it up one more time. If, if you have somebody that's, you know, it's not, it's not wrong to drink a glass of wine. It's not wrong to have a sip of alcohol. But I do think it would be absolutely wrong to invite somebody over who's an alcoholic and take a sip in front of them and offer them a beer. So you have to consider the people that are around you. You have to consider the culture of the people that are around you. That doesn't mean, again, let me stress this one more time. That doesn't mean that if our culture is dictating something, that makes it okay. There's a lot of things going on in our culture right now that I think are absolutely... Wrong. And some of those things, I think, are hard lines, that God's drawn lines in the sand. And based on my belief and my interpretation of Scripture, I'm going to stand on a certain side of those arguments. You might be different. Maybe to you, some of those are gray. Maybe to you, some of those aren't as black and white as they are to me. And I'll tell you this, too. There are certain certain things in our culture right now that are certainly a little more gray than others. I'm not saying, whatever goes, I'm not saying when in Rome, do as the Romans. Because the Romans would have led you astray. But be mindful of your audience. Consider who you're talking to. Consider where they come from. What's their culture? And how you can best reach out to those people. Paul's not saying I took on a different appearance everywhere I went. But he met people where they were. By the way, Jesus did that too. Is there anything anybody wants to add to that? Are we sure? I got some looks out there while I was saying that. All right? Speak now or forever. Hold your peace. We're not coming back to 1 Corinthians 10 for a long time. Okay. All right, well, thanks for coming to Wednesday night class. That's the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I appreciate everybody's comments, and uh, I'll see you in, not next Wednesday, but the next Wednesday, Sunday and Wednesday. I'll be at Teen Week for the next week. Um, starting on Saturday morning. So be praying for us out there. We've put a lot of prayer and thought and effort into the week, and it's usually a very powerful week for the kingdom uh, with the youth. So be praying for us.